This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Welcome to this month's Global Market Perspective from Schroders, uh, the monthly podcast for professional investors in South Africa. This is Gavin Ralston, and I'm speaking today to Azad Zangana, Schroders Senior Economist. As with so much in life at the moment, we're recording this remotely, each from our respective homes. So please bear with us if the sound quality is not what you're used to. I was in South Africa three weeks ago for the Schroeder's annual symposium. It's fair to say that the world has changed profoundly since then. At the beginning of March, South Africa just reported its first case of COVID-19. Life was carrying on reasonably normally in most European countries, even Italy. Now, many European countries and many US states are in complete lockdown and both the UK and South Africa are following that pattern this week. Financial markets, as we all know, have fallen precipitously. The world index, the equity index, is down about 30% from its recent peak. Leverage is being unwound everywhere, and even government bond yields have been all over the place. The dollar has behaved as a safe haven and has risen about 25% against the South African rand since the end of 2019, which is something, I guess, that cushions the blow for investors in South Africa uh, from the fall in their offshore investments. And at the same time, governments have been taking extraordinary steps. Here is an example in the UK. The government is planning to pay private sector wages if companies don't make staff redundant. Other governments that were philosophically opposed to deficit spending only three weeks ago are now spending up to 10% of GDP. The Fed has announced an almost infinite program of quantitative easing, extending now to investment-grade credit and ETFs. So, Azad, uh, turning to you, uh, economic forecasting is uh, difficult at the best of times, uh, but almost impossible now. But I know you've had a go at revising your forecasts in the last few days. Can you, can you bring us up to date with the sort of numbers you're seeing for growth? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and what we've tried to do uh, before I go through the numbers is we, we've tried to think about uh, the length of shutdowns or lockdowns happening in the different countries that uh, we forecast and the degree of shutdown that uh, we're going to see. So, for example, even as we're speaking uh, to our audience today from London, most of uh, the UK is on lockdown. However, a lot of uh, emergency and crucial services are, are ongoing. So, obviously, they would carry on being counted as economic uh, activity. Um, if we were to shut down any country uh, for a single working day, then we would expect about a 1.6 percentage point hit to quarter and quarter uh, GDP. That's for a 100% shutdown. So that gives you a, a bit of a, an idea of how you can go about calculating uh, some of these numbers. So um, at the global level, uh, world GDP has been revised down from our previous forecast of 2.3%, which was from our February uh, update. Uh, it's now going to be minus 3.1% uh, for 2020. Now, that, that is uh, set to be the deepest global recession since the 1930s, span, spamming Q1 and Q2 as we go through. Um, but we do then see quite a sharp rebound in the second half of the year. As, as a lot of these businesses will go back to work, um, you should start to see uh, activity and life resuming uh, as normal. So in 2021, 
we then have a 7.2% rise in uh, global GDP. Uh, so it, it, it very much will look like a V-shaped recovery uh, and, and profile uh, for growth in the near term. It, depending on when a country starts the shutdown and, and the scale of the shutdown will determine how large the numbers um, are. So just to give you an idea, for the US, we have minus 3.9 for this year, but plus 9.1 uh, for next year. For the Eurozone, we have minus 5.7, plus 7.1 uh, the following uh, year. On a quarterly basis, the numbers are actually going to be quite a lot worse. So quarter on quarter, um, we could see numbers of around somewhere between minus 10 to minus 20, again, depending on the, the scale and length of these shutdowns. But because we will then get the rebound in the second half of the year, the numbers won't look quite as bad as on uh, at an annual basis, but still clearly uh, a very deep recession uh, expected. And what are you assuming behind those numbers in terms of the potential slowing in the rate of infection and then return to more normal e economic conditions. Is that something that will be in place by the middle of this year? Well, that's the assumption. Either that or uh, governments abandon the uh, the lockdown uh, proceedings. The um, the risk, of course, to our forecast, which is something we're working on at the moment, hopefully um, in, in the next week or so, we will have a new scenario that we release in addition to our baseline forecast. Uh, that'll be uh, assuming that uh, the lockdown hasn't fully worked. And as people then get back to normal life in the third quarter, the rate of infections start to rise again. And that then causes another lockdown at the end of the year. Now, this this leads us to a more sort of sawtooth uh, or a jagged shaped recovery, a W, uh, if you like. But again, it's assuming that uh, these lockdowns do work and, and bring the rate of infections down. Uh, this is what uh, supports our, our V-shaped recovery in our baseline. But the risk is that uh, this, this goes on for longer. And what, what impact do I mentioned the the extraordinary level of fiscal stimulus? What 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 impact do those fiscal packages have on your expectations for next year? So they are designed to bridge the gap for most businesses, um, making sure that a liquidity problem doesn't turn into a solvency problem uh, for a lot of them. Um, any viable business should hopefully be able to get hold of extended credit lines and uh, loans with the help of loan guarantees from the various governments. At the same time, uh, most countries are deferring tax payments for companies, uh, cutting taxes as well in some instances. Um, for households, the support is uh, trying to bridge any kind of income gap that households may have, either due to losing jobs or being furloughed as well. We're seeing unprecedented steps now being introduced in the UK and Europe, uh, whereby workers are being, uh, will, will receive up to 80% of their uh, previous income to a certain threshold, of course, if they are being furloughed. And, and, and as you mentioned, Gavin, that, that's really to uh, encourage companies to hold on to staff rather than uh, firing them. Yeah. There, there are some um, almost apocalyptic forecasts out there. I mean, one, one I saw from one of the governors of the Federal Reserve uh, at the weekend was that unemployment in the US might rise to 30%. I mean, is, is, does that have any probability in your outlook? 
It's quite a small probability at this stage. Um, we're looking for unemployment to rise to around 8% or so. Um, the hope is that people like us will be able to work from home to some uh, extent, and otherwise they'd be uh, furloughed. And if they're furloughed, then they're not going to be technically looking for new work. Therefore, they're not uh, technically unemployed, even if they are being underemployed uh, at this uh, point. Um, I think for for it to get to 30%, things have to go very badly wrong. Uh, and the fiscal support from the US would have to fail, uh, either in its by design or due to the lack of delivery, which, of course, we're still waiting on uh, even today. Congress hasn't signed off on the big package uh, that we're all hoping to see. So let's move to China, uh, where obviously events are at a more advanced stage. And I guess you know, there, there, maybe there's a glimmer of hope from China as economic activity has begun to pick up from the beginning of this month onwards. Uh, first of all, what, what does the latest high-frequency data that you monitor tell us what is actually happening in China? So data like the data on traffic collected by satellites um, and various other bits of data around retail sales are, are starting to look more positive. They're certainly, they've certainly bottomed out and starting to recover, um, but they're nowhere near yet normal levels as, as far as we would uh, consider them. The news flow this morning uh, suggests that the um, the source of the outbreak, uh, the Wuhan region, uh, is now starting to see travel restrictions being relaxed. Um, so life is slowly getting back to normal uh, in mainland China. However, our concern is when we're looking at the number of cases and deaths being reported, the number of cases in China are slowly starting to creep up again. Um, you know, there is risk of reinfection. Uh, out there. And of course, as these travel restrictions are lifted, um, our concern is that we start seeing another outbreak and then another potential round of shutdowns coming through, uh, not only in Wuhan, but potentially other parts of China uh, as well. So a uh, mixed set of data that we've had this week. And I, I, mean, I guess the lessons for other governments planning their strategy is not to relax the travel restrictions too early. Yes, exactly. And that's why in the UK, uh, the shutdown is now assumed to be for at least three weeks. Um, in Italy, we're approaching the end of the period that they initially announced, um, but the government is already hinting that it may have to extend uh, the lockdown period until they've certainly got more clarity on on um, the spread uh, coming down and the numbers uh, really starting to uh, collapse. So let, let's stay with Europe for a moment. Uh, I mean, that's obviously, as a number of commentators have pointed out, the epicenter of infection at the moment. Italy, Spain, France, Germany, the UK now. Uh, I mean, how, just, just how bad are economic conditions in Europe? And do you see the same sort of recovery in the second half of this year you were talking about globally? So unfortunately for Europe, they don't have as much firepower left for monetary policy to boost growth as you have in the US and to a lesser extent, uh, the UK. Um, interest rates were already in negative territory. We've had no further cuts in, in interest rates uh, in, in Europe. Um, the European Central Bank was forced into a embarrassing U-turn uh, in providing support for Italy uh, through uh, new quantitative easing that was announced. That was following uh, Christine Lagarde's 
comments at the press conference that she wasn't there to close spreads, which of course started to raise fears of another debt crisis coming around. Um, listeners will remember that Italy is is by far the most indebted uh, nation uh, in Europe, and, and therefore poses uh, a, a real risk. So the uh, prospects for a rebound will be there because people will return to work. And as I said, liquidity conditions are actually quite good. Uh, and the fiscal support has certainly been stepped up faster than we'd expected. Um, but when we compare what happens to economic growth uh, by the end of 2021 compared to our previous forecast, it will certainly be down in Europe. And there isn't, I mean, other than the ECB, there isn't much sign of the pan-European institutions leading the charge in terms of recovery. Everything seems to be being driven by national governments and their actions. That, that's right, but that's the way that Europe has always been uh, designed. Um, the one pan-European um, element to fiscal policy is is a restriction, actually, not a not a support. That was lifted a couple of weeks ago, um, and so countries are now allowed to increase their deficits well beyond the the limits that uh, were previously in place. And individual countries have gone about um, introducing very large fiscal stimulus packages. You know, we're talking about 10, 15, 20 percent of GDP now being offered through uh, loan guarantees. But it's worth mentioning. Gavin, that there is a very big difference between the fiscal stimulus we think about, which is sort of tax cuts, increase in spending uh, that helps boost activity, and the type of packages currently being uh, provided. Loan guarantees are technically fiscal stimulus, but in reality, they serve as an insurance purpose. So um, if a company takes out a loan, and for some reason it goes bust or it can't repay the whole loan, then part of the cost of that default will fall on the government. So it doesn't really kick in unless things get very bad. Um, but still, it's a good safety net to have uh, and should help encourage the extension of credit lines and at least protect the banking system uh, if things get very bad in the next uh, few months. So let's, I mean, you mentioned the banking system. Let's stay with that for a moment, because obviously that was the, the focus of weakness in the financial system in 2008. Capital ratios improved a lot since then. Regulations are a lot tighter. Is, is, is that now working? Is the banking system truly robust in current circumstances? I think we have been quite lucky that this has happened after the financial crisis and not before, because the actions taken since then have, have dramatically strengthened uh, the banking system and the uh, the balance sheets uh, of of banks more more generally. There are still some uh, concerns clearly around some of uh, the banks, uh, but with the huge amount of liquidity now provided uh, by the ECB, um, all of these banks should should be fine. Okay, so that's one encouraging sign. I also want to ask about the dollar. As I mentioned in my introduction, the dollar has been uh, very strong uh, as the crisis has unfolded, particularly against emerging markets currencies. Do you see dollar strength continuing from here? It's a tough question to answer. We're, we're seeing, obviously, 
uh, an element of uh, flight to safety uh, back to the dollar. But at the same time, uh, we're seeing um, an unwinding of a lot of the shorts in the euro uh, happening. Um, the euro had become a favoured funding currency in the same way as the Japanese yen had been for the last uh, 20 years, thanks to the very low interest rates uh, that are offered, well, negative actually now uh, across Europe. So with all this... Um, selling that we're seeing uh, in equity and bond markets, um, a lot of that selling has meant that uh, people are repaying the loans they, they took out in euros, which is in itself a strength in the euro as well. So, I mean, I expect to see a bit of a seesaw uh, between the dollar and the euro. I think that they will remain reasonably stable. But for emerging market currencies like the South African rand, I'm afraid it's, it's pretty bad news while we have a, this period of uncertainty and, and risk off in the markets. And then if, if we look at financial market flows, there have been huge redemptions from bond funds um, and relatively limited flows out of equities. It looks like investors have been selling assets that have held up better uh, and taking the view that equity markets have fallen enough. Do, do you think that's a, a, a rational assessment of the situation? I think when we look at the flows, um, they do differ by uh, the different type of clients that that are out there. Um, so institutional uh, organizations are certainly holding their nerve and holding on to the assets that they have. Um, I mean, historically, it's always been shown that if you're selling uh, as the market is falling, t you tend to uh, not buy back at the right time and you end up losing out uh, in, in total. So the, the organizations with longer time horizons have certainly held on. However, the um, uh, intermediary clients or retail clients, uh, they have been de-risking a bit more. And it's what's interesting to see is the type of selling that we're seeing. It, it, it looks very indiscriminate at, at this moment in time. We're seeing very good companies that actually should be perfectly fine through this period being uh, selling off along with the poorer companies that I think are very vulnerable uh, during this period. And I think I put that down to the large amount of selling out of ETF funds you're starting to see some of these passive vehicles actually underperforming the underlying uh, asset. So due to a lack of liquidity, they're not even uh, able to uh, provide accurate pricing at this stage, um, which I think has been one of the, the big negatives so far in this uh, bear market, the way the passive uh, side of the industry has, has performed. Yeah, no, uh, Johanna Kirkland, our chief investment officer, has made the point in the last week or so about the opportunities being created uh, by indiscriminate selling, as you describe it, uh, which for active managers uh, can be a, an opportunity to pick up attractive securities, both in equity and credit. Azad, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to draw this conversation to a close. Just a reminder that the forecasts, uh, as I described at the start of the conversation, suggest um, a very negative position for world growth this year, but a, a, quite a significant rebound in 2021 as we begin to see a return to normality. So although it may be hard to see it at the moment, there is light at the end of the tunnel. So it just remains for me to, to thank Azad, to thank you for listening, and to hope that you all stay safe and healthy. Thank you and goodbye. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested.
Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.